Tonight, my guest is my dear friend, Dr. Joyce Harmon. She is going to talk to us about acupuncture. I'm going to let Joyce give us an intro about how she got involved with acupuncture. And um, so I know she's been to China, and I think that would be really interesting to hear a little bit about your, your adventures in China. And so take it away, Joyce. Okay. So acupuncture, which is it's true for many people, but that's where I got started. But even before I went to vet school, I was working with a veterinarian who was playing around with the first book that was sort of written in the English language about acupuncture in horses, mostly in horses. And it was a pretty, um, let's say, difficult to read sort of a book. So we would look at a horse and try to figure out where these acupuncture points might be. And it seemed like an interesting idea, but we really weren't sure what we were doing. And, and so that was before I actually started vet school. And so I, you know, I had this in the back of my mind while I went through vet school. And then I was still interested in acupuncture. So I went to, I went to work in England for a few years and while I was in England, there was actually a, a veterinary talk about acupuncture. And so I went to it and there was a lot of scientific information presented and a lot of cases. And I said, you know, this is something that I really want to learn more about. But I was in, you know, fresh out of vet school, worked over in England for a while. And I came back to the States and was working up in New Jersey and wanted to sort of pretend I knew something about acupuncture maybe and uh, you know tried putting a few needles in looking at the charts that were available and then um, Dr. Marvin Kane who's sort of one of the grandfathers of veterinary acupuncture came through and visited the practice and he said there's this international veterinary acupuncture course and uh, I said okay sign me up and the rest is history. So that was in 1989-90. I took that course. So that's a long, long time, ago. time ago. Yeah, and I I've forgotten about Dr. Kane, but that's that brings up a very old name because um, he was around doing acupuncture. He was one of the first, right? He was one of a group of, I think, three or four veterinarians that went to China back in 1974, I believe it was, and part of their purpose was actually to debunk this whole acupuncture thing. And they came home and started the International Veterinary Acupuncture Society. Oh, <laughs> so wow. They do you remember who else was with yeah. it? Who were some um, of the founders of acupuncture for horses, I guess is what I'm saying. Um, I, I mean, some of, the, some of the people are still, I think who's around, Dr. Ehor Basco was one of the very early ones. Um, I think Dr. David Yeager out in um, Colorado was, I don't think he was one of the earliest though. Um, and uh, you're, you are tapping the cobwebs of my I brain. know, but you brought up Dr. Um, King and, and he actually wound up <laughs> living just behind you, right? Or no, his ex yes, not, not too far away. Yeah, right. And so, yeah, he um, but he traveled around, did acupuncture a lot. He inspired a lot of people to uh, to get started in acupuncture. He was a um, he he was 
an amazing individual in many, many ways. And he was one of my teachers when I took the International Veterinary Acupuncture course. And he taught there for many years and actually only passed away a few years ago and practiced a little bit up till fairly near the end. So he went to China um, in, what did you say, 74? I think it was 1974. Wow. And in, in that time frame, there was only from the, in the 70s and into the 80s, um, there was really only a handful of people across the country doing it. And then in the, towards the end of the 80s was when the real interest started. And so my class was probably one of the first, one of the early classes that was really full. I think there was probably 50 or 60 people in the class, maybe, maybe not quite that many. Before that, I think many of the classes had 10 people, 15, 20, until the very late 80s, and they started to get larger. And so that, that kind of got a, a group of us who, there were a lot of people in my class or within a year or two of that who have, are still practicing, though many of us are getting to be old farts now. Um, <laughs> You're not that, that 30 old. Years ago. <laughs> <laughs> Starting to feel it. Yeah. But um, <laughs> 30 years ago, and, and many of the people that were in that, that time frame in that class are people who have published a lot, who have taught a lot. A lot of our, a lot of our sort of senior um, acupuncturists have come out of that era, the late, late 80s, early 90s. And um, at that point, we, we went and took the class and you'd go for like five or six days and then you came home and you practiced and then you could go back and, and it's still kind of taught the same way. Some of the work now is, is done online, it makes it a little bit easier for veterinarians to attend with, with all the travel issues, mm -hmm. especially now. And there are certainly a lot of things you can study on your own, but there's nothing like having a mentor show you, you know, how to place acupuncture needles and how to palpate and find all the acupuncture points because there technically are probably a thousand acupuncture points on a horse. Um, most of the time though, we're working with a group of, you know, 200, 300 points. And uh, when you take one of the tests, you have to learn, you thought you had to learn a lot for anatomy in vet school. And then you come along and you learn acupuncture terminology and then all these acupuncture points. And so you review your anatomy that you promptly forgot after you took the exam. And you really learn your anatomy this time because now you're going to use it every day. <laughs> right. So um, 1990, that's when we met. So you, I didn't realize you had just started doing acupuncture because we met in June at the Old Dominion. Um, and yeah. I didn't realize that's when you took your training. Um, yeah. Wow. And I finished, I finished it up in probably February or March of 1990. And I was, um, I moved down here around that time. Well, I started my practice in 1990 down here. So, so actually it was, it was 1990 that I took the course. Right. Um, and 
that was that was the beginning. And so I opened my practice. I did a little bit of acupuncture, and I did some conventional medicine for a year or two. And then the acupuncture at that point, the world was getting interested in acupuncture, and so a lot of a lot of clients were actually quite interested. They didn't know much about it at all. And back in those days, there were a lot of people who really didn't want you to tell their veterinarian they were having an acupuncturist. They, um, they would pay me in cash because they didn't want to tell their husband they were having acupuncture done on their horse or their significant other. Um, they would, uh, it, was, it was much less accepted in the overall community. And, and, and at that time, was it, I can't remember, was it fairly well accepted in the human world? No, no. This was, again, the beginning of acupuncture's acceptance all in over. In general, across so there the were board. Across the board, yeah. There were acupuncturists that, I think when Dr. Kane went over, it was around the time that Nixon opened up China, if, if my if my anatomy of the timeline of life is correct. But that makes sense. That. that would make sense that it would be after that period because otherwise you couldn't really go to China. Right, right. And so around that time, there were human acupuncturists doing the same thing, going over to either find out that this stuff was really bogus and coming home and finding out that it actually worked. And then many of them were... Um, coming home and starting, they were beginning to start acupuncture schools. They were, well, first they started some acupuncture practices and then some of them had enough experience. They started human acupuncture schools. And so from the early nineties, we started to really have training in this country. Before that, m most of the people were getting their training from China or from people who had left China who were practicing over here. So and, it really, as a, and, as a treatment, it's really not that old in this country. When you think, I mean, 30 years isn't really that long. Uh, no, it's not. It's not. It is, though, a 3,000-year-old form of medicine. And the interesting thing about, um, if, if you look at medicine, you think about a lot of the things that were done when we were kids like taking out tonsils. That was a normal thing when I was a child. Somehow I managed to escape and have my tonsils taken out. I mean, not taken out, um, but yeah, most people did. Now they actually realize that hey, tonsils are actually kind of useful and that we shouldn't take them out, but that's how medicine evolves. We do something we think is a good idea for a while and then we drop it by the wayside. So there's a lot of things that are dropped by the wayside that we would have, um, we would have thought that they were, that we thought they were good. We practiced them, we used them, we found out they were a bad deal and we stopped. Chinese medicine has been going on since 3,000 years. And in China, a friend of mine used to, to work over there quite a bit, and he did a lot of studying. And so what he would ask people, he was, he was at an acupuncture hospital. And so he would ask the patients as they came in, why do you come to acupuncture instead of 
going to conventional medicine because the Chinese, even in the 90s, did have conventional medicine hospitals and they had acupuncture hospitals and then they had some that actually combined both. So the people would answer him and say, well, we know that they both work, but we prefer the Chinese medicine because there's no side effects and it, it agrees with our you know, Chinese philosophy, agrees with who, who we are and what we believe in. But people in China have had a choice and if it didn't work, they wouldn't go. And acupuncture would have died out. But because it works, acupuncture is still being practiced worldwide. The Koreans, sometimes there's an argument as to whether the Koreans or the acupuncturists really started, I mean, the, the Koreans or the Chinese really started it. Um, but it's the Japanese also practice it. There's many styles of acupuncture and the different styles they use needles, um, but they use a slightly different approach and they all still get results. So as you're having your horses worked on by an acupuncturist, maybe you then move to a different area or your acupuncturist leaves that practice and you get somebody else, you may see some different styles of acupuncture and that is perfectly okay. Remember I said there's a thousand points. Um, and even if we're only using to put this up on Facebook Live, because I think it's a really important conversation. And I love the history of learning about acupuncture in the United States. So I just just wanted to let you know. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. Um, so so with with the acupuncture styles that people have, you could say take 10 of us that have been doing this for a long time, clone a horse. So we have the same horse in front of us to work on. And so we have 10 clones and you give 10 of us the, uh, the horse and we're supposed to come up with our Chinese diagnosis and our treatment plan. And you would probably find that we would tend to agree on the Chinese diagnosis. And we'll talk a little bit about the terminology and the, and the diagnosis part of it. But when we actually put our needles in, we might choose completely different points. But when that horse walks away, the chances are he's gonna be equally well off from each one of our approaches because the acupuncture points regulate. They don't, they don't force the body to do one thing. They regulate it. So this is probably a good point to, to explain how acupuncture works in, in a simple way that is easy to understand. So we have, a, we have several body systems that we know about. We have our blood and blood vessels. So we can look at our finger when we cut it and we're gonna see blood and we'll see blood vessels. We have nerves and electricity. So if we cut our finger, we know it because the nerves carry that information up to our brain. And then we have this Chinese energy or qi system. And the qi system flows through the body in pathways, but they aren't defined by a blood vessel or a nerve that we can see with our naked eye. They are defined by a, uh, an energetic pathway. You can actually see them. If you look under a microscope, you can see an acupuncture point it will have more little nerve endings, more little cells called mast cells and other 
biochemical cells or biochemical pathways. And under an electron microscope, which was originally discovered in Austria, was the original um, place where they visualized an acupuncture point. So if you put a needle into that point, now we know from a research standpoint, the information moves some energy, and we'll talk about that in a second, but also all those little nerve endings fire, they carry that information up to the brain, and now we know what brain centers are actually affected by an individual acupuncture point, and then it comes back out to the part of the body that you are trying to affect. So that's sort of a scientific basis for acupuncture. And then we have the energetic basis. And the energetic is this chi that's flowing through the body. So think about it like some electricity, because we understand electricity. You put your finger in an electrical socket, you know what it feels like. Bad. That's electricity traveling through your walls. <laughs> yes, not a good idea. No. So if we want to regulate that electricity, we have light switches, so we don't have to stick our finger in or unscrew light bulbs or anything like that. So we can turn a light switch on and off and regulate the flow of electricity. So think about an acupuncture point like a dimmer switch. So we can regulate the electricity and fine tune it, turn it down a little bit, turn it up a little bit. So in perfect health, we have an even flow of blood throughout the body, no clogged arteries in our heart. In, we have an even flow of the nervous system or electricity throughout our body. We don't have numb fingers or toes where the nerve supply isn't working as well. And then we also have this even flow of chi. If we have pain, we actually will have a stagnation of chi. That's, the terminology is different, but the thought processes actually make sense. So a stagnation of chi means pain. Well, if you wanna think about what stagnation might look like, think about a bruise. Mm. If you have a bruise on your arm, that is stagnant blood that is um, not flowing. It is now outside of the blood cells and it's painful. So that is stagnant blood. Stagnant chi is the same thing, but we don't see it. And it's not usually as painful as stagnant blood. Stagnant blood really hurts. So if you have a big bruise on your arm and somebody grabs your arm, it hurts. If you have a minor kind of soreness where maybe maybe a horse kind of bumped into you or you hit your arm against the corner of a doorway or something. You don't see any stagnant blood, but you still feel some pain. So there you have some stagnant chi. You still have pain, you still have chi that's not flowing well. So we're gonna put a needle into this acupuncture point that we have now found and we're going to essentially regulate that flow of chi. So if it's stuck and stagnant, putting that needle in is going to release it to flow freely. So that's turning the light on. 
So your dimmer switch, you know, it goes on up and now you have a fully bright light. But let's say that you have too much energy flowing, like a gate's open and your cows are out. They flew <laughs> through the gate. A good example for <laughs> My tonight. My cows were out. <laughs> just one, just one And cow. so, yeah, just one. So as that cow leaves the gate, you want to put an acupuncture needle in to slow that process down. An acupuncture needle will not stop a cow, but it will stop your energy. Excess energy. Brad may stop the cow, we're hoping. <laughs> I think he put them back in. Okay. <laughs> Maybe a different field, but it doesn't matter. They're doesn't captured. Matter. So their chi is back, their chi is back contained. Okay. It's not flying all over the place. So if you have too much energy, which is possible, then you putting that needle in, you actually slow the energy flow down to what would be a nice regulated pace. The nice thing with acupuncture is you can put a needle in and some acupuncturists are very precise and they put a needle in and they turn it one direction for increasing flow, another direction for slowing flow down. Or you can put the needle in and the body will decide what needs to happen. The body's really pretty smart. Mm. And so the acupuncture needle goes in and the body goes, okay, we need some more energy flowing and your energy will flow through that area. And the, the system becomes regulated. So and we often talk about stimulating acupuncture points, but you can also sedate them. So you, you can move the energy in either direction. And the nice thing is that, that like some of you, especially because acupuncture is still a growing profession, you may have a vet, one of your veterinarians who's just learning acupuncture. And, and people will sometimes be a little concerned about having somebody work on their horse that's just learning. But the cool thing is with acupuncture is you can put the needle in and the horse's body is going to go, okay, I know what to do with that. And... I mean, unless they come out with harpoons or something, they're not going to hurt your horse. Maybe they won't be as effective as somebody who's been doing it for 10 years. But if one of your vets is learning it, I would sign up as a guinea pig for sure and let them practice on your horse because it's a very, very safe form of therapy. And that certainly helps our veterinarians learn. Well, one of the interesting so, things with needles is they'll actually work their way out. like the body expels the needle like when it's done, which is fascinating. Yeah, one, one of the first fascinating things I saw when we put a needle in a horse way back when is you put the needle in and then if you go to try and pull it out right away, you actually are pulling some skin with it. If you're not gonna pull any skin off the horse, but you can feel the tension and you have to actively pull the needle out. When the needle is finished at that particular point, the horse can be standing there half asleep and I'll have needles that just fall to the ground. The body loosens them and they can fall out. I have had horses do an entire body shake and lose one needle. And I've had horses fall asleep and have 10 needles fall out of them. And when a horse does a big body shake, those needles have to be stuck in or they're not gonna stay. Right. And so if the horse does a big shake at the end, probably all the needles are going to fall out or 80% of them. But in that beginning stage, it's amazing how they stick in. 
And occasionally you, a needle will go into an acupuncture point and you'll see it actually kind of bend a little bit as the, as the energy moves. And um, there's nothing wrong with that. You just have to take the needle out carefully. And you will see um, in the many styles of acupuncture that are out there, you can inject something like vitamin B12. People will inject homeopathic remedies into a point. So you can actually use an acupuncture needle, which is a solid needle, or you can use a regular syringe needle, which has a hole in the middle and it cuts its way in. And they're a little more painful for the horse. Some, in many cases, there's some points you really can't do with a needle that cuts. But you can also put some vitamin B12 or you could put a homeopathic in and then you can actually take the needle out and that stimulus of the B12 will continue in that acupuncture point. You can also hook them up to electricity and you'll see pictures of, I'll see if I can find a picture of a, of a horse hooked up to electricity in the, uh, in China and the electricity, remember we have this group of, of nerve endings there. So the electricity going into the point is stimulating some nervous system directly and the nervous system is our electrical system. And the electricity does move that chi along sometimes a little bit faster than just a plain needle. So like clears and the stagnation, th is that what you mean? Yes, it'll clear the stagnation. Sometimes you don't need to leave your needles in quite as long because the electricity will actually um, stimulate it faster. Um, and the, uh, It will, it does take away pain sometimes a little faster. And it also, if we have nerve atrophy, you will see, you can actually help regenerate those nerves. Nerves do regenerate. They are just really slow. So in a week's time, they're only gonna grow a couple of millimeters. You can help stimulate that process though with some electrical hookups. So if a horse has say hit his shoulder and has a Sweeney where they, that muscle atrophies, doing acupuncture can make a big difference. The same thing can happen with some of these horses that have had EPM is that we can, we can make a big difference in, um, in how the horses recover. And things like EPM, which can be really a tough disease to recover from, acupuncture can be a really important part because we actually can have that direct energy on the nervous system itself. Yeah. And, and that's where, as, as we've, we've talked on a lot of these webinars about the surefoot, acupuncture is affecting the nervous system. Surefoot is affecting the nervous system. And though I have not sat down and done a study this is where you need a uh, you need a good PhD student, Wendy. Yeah, I do. Um, a couple of to, them. Uh, yeah, yeah. There's a there's a bunch of projects here, but it would be really interesting to see what might happen when you 
say, put acupuncture needle in while a horse is on surefoot. Do we get a better response? Do we get a different response? Lots of questions. Yeah. Lots of things to, uh, um, lots of things to look at. Yeah. So um, while you're so, looking that picture, just kind of full disclosure to everybody. Um, I've known Joyce for 30 years and she got me to go to a couple of different acupuncturists. Um, uh, one of which is uh, in Bethesda and she's amazing. Um, and she hooks me up to electrical stim uh, with the needles because I have this enormous scar from my injury. Um, and then I've done other things, um, but it's really, uh, it's fascinating. And I always wind up so relaxed. At the, I, in fact, I always used to say I get a better nap at E-Pings than I do at home um, because it was really relaxing. And um, so uh, just want to say that I, from per firsthand experience, um, the effects of this are really fabulous. I mean, Joyce got me to go to E-Ping, so. <laughs> yeah, it's, it is, um, it is an amazing system that has withstood the test of time for sure. So we and, have a couple uh, of questions. Um, let me just ask you these. Okay. Um, why would a hollow needle cut and be more painful than a solid acupuncture needle? So basically a cutting needle actually cuts the tissue a little bit. Because you've got to make a hole in it in order to get the um, in, in order to get the, the juice, whatever you're injecting into it. You've got to make a hole in the skin, literally a hole, that you're then going to inject through. And this is kind of a, a uh, um, it, it's on the microscopic level. So we stick a needle in and we don't really think about what's happening. But um, when we put that needle in and we have to inject fluid in, that is a tiny little cut in the skin. And you can see that sometimes if you happen to hit a blood vessel and you hit a blood vessel and it, um, it bleeds. Mm -hmm. So with a solid needle, they're usually quite sharp and they push the cells of the skin apart and slide in between the cells rather than making a tiny cut. And we so, know that cutting skin is painful because of the, um, because every time we cut our finger, it hurts. Right. So somebody's asking how long are the needles that are typically left in the horse? How, how long are they left in or how big are they long? I think both. I think both are good questions. How long would you leave them in? Yeah. How long okay. are the needles? The, the leaving them in is, a, is part of the style thing. So you will actually see everything from just a few minutes. Some of the, the, the Japanese are usually around 10 minutes. The Chinese are... 30 minutes, and everybody falls somewhere usually in between that. I do, on occasion, um, leave needles in that don't want to come out, and they have, on occasion, have stayed in for a couple of hours, usually with the dogs more than with the horses. Hmm. And um, 
the the dogs for some reason especially the older dogs they will put a needle in and hold on to it for four hours wow the horses only occasionally do i send them home with a needle in them most of the time by even if it hasn't um released the needle by the time i finish the treatment by the time i finish writing everything up they have um they have finished yeah and um uh, somebody said that they've injected Adequan and L1, to, it's got to be to L1, oh, LI18 point for horses arthritis in both knees. I, I think people are, uh, with the injection, I think what people have to realize is you're using a hypodermic needle because you have a syringe attached and in order to get mm -hmm. fluid in, you've got to use a hypodermic needle. That needle is yeah. going to cut just the way if you got a shot. Um, it's gonna has to cut the skin to get the fluid in. So um, I think that's really yes. what the point is. It's a hypodermic, and I think you would probably use the smallest hypodermic. I mean, you don't want to use a huge one like you'd take a, a, a venipuncture, but just a needle that you can use to get the fluid in. Um, generally, yes. I mean, that, and there are again these different styles. I actually have a set of needles on my wall that I got in China from the last hand needle maker in China. And they are, well, I have a picture. Oh, do you? Because they are like, you have them as you come up into your apartment and it's like a warning to people. <laughs> <laughs> do not misbehave. Right, they because have one of these might be for you. <laughs> Okay, so my question is, Wendy, how do I share my screen? So down at the bottom of your Zoom screen, there's a green up arrow oh, that's your screen. And then you'll okay. have little thumbnails and you pick the thumbnail of the picture you want to show. Oh, okay. Okay. Share. There you go. Is that working? Yes, except all we have is a, there. Oh, there's your needles. <laughs> Wow, can you make that a little bigger? Can you um, let's see if we can click on that. And yes, I can make it bigger. Great. Oh yeah. If I zoom in. It hasn't quite come up yet, but I think it takes, there we go. Whoops. I just goofed. Let's see what I'm doing here. Okay. So someone says they use a 22 oh. gauge needle for injections. Um, 22 gauge, I see 20. I don't see as much in the way of 18 gauge needles that I used to see people doing. But um, now why this wants to go up. Yeah, right down. now. All right. See how that looks. So this is about an eight by 10 inch board. Yeah, right now it's just a white board for whatever oh. reason. The, the funny thing is that you're, I can see your gallery at the bottom and I can see the picture there, but the picture on the screen right now is, is oh, there we go. There you go, got it. Oops, lost it. Oh, okay. Whoops. So it shows up when I have the picture showing at the bottom. 
Okay, right now it's a white right? square rectangle. It's funny. I can see you moving your point, pointer. Now I see a Chinese rooftop building. Okay. Oop, now I've Oops. lost that. All right, here's my needles. Okay, right now we're just seeing a big white screen. You know what, just unshare and reshare and that might solve it. Sometimes the screen share is a little weird. Yep, and then just go Not back share. to your screen again. Share screen. And you have that picture open when you share the screen so you can select it. Yeah. Zoom's a little weird on screen sharing if it's not exactly, yeah, it's a white square, but give it a moment. Maybe it'll, like we can see your thumbnails. Well, okay, if you can see my thumbnails, let's make big thumbnails. Yeah, let's do that. Maybe, maybe this will work. The weird thing was it was on a different image number. And it did show up at one point. That's really weird. It's very weird. I, I, this is a new one I haven't seen this one. Yeah, we can see it at the bottom, but we can't actually see the, the picture itself. Very strange. Makes no sense to me. No, it makes, um, especially since it did show up. Right, why would it disappear? Oh, and now we have it in the side screen and then it disappeared. Oh, now we've got more things showing up, but the center picture is white. <laughs> I, wow, you're using Lightroom and it's, I've, nobody's used Lightroom before. But anyway, the, the needles are quite impressive. Anyway, little glimpses. Maybe, yeah, maybe, maybe they will go through the rain and show up, I don't know. Yeah. At any rate, the the cards that I have are 10 inches long. And some of the needles that the Chinese use are 10 inches long. Most of the needles that we use in this country are much shorter. Though some people use in the top of the horse's butt right by the sacroiliac, they'll use a six inch needle or something like that. I tend to, I studied some of the Japanese acupuncture and they tend to be very light with their needles and use very small needles. I kind of like that style because I'm sensitive and I don't like big needles. And so I tend to use a smaller needle, but all of those, they all work. Um, you just prefer to have, I prefer to have a smaller needle rather than a really big one. And there are some um, horses that absolutely don't like acupuncture, isn't that right? That is correct. And so for those horses, I use a laser, a cold laser. You don't need a big fancy $25,000 class 58 laser, or class four is what they usually call it. Um, all you need is, uh, is a nice simple cold laser. And um, the laser stimulates the acupuncture point. So we'll talk a little bit about stimulating acupuncture points because um, there are many ways to stimulate. You have this acupuncture point, it starts right under the skin and it can go quite deep depending on the point and its location on the body. Obviously if you're on the lower leg or you're right here on my finger, 
the point's not very deep. The points on the horse are probably about the size of a quarter. And the Chinese very often will look for the sorest spot. And that's the center of the point, the part that needs to be treated. And um, they, that is very often the best point to needle, but anywhere in that point can be needled. However, you have a point there. You can stimulate that with your finger. You can use your thumb and do some acupressure and just make some circles in that point. So you can take, and there are some acupressure books on the market, and even some acupuncture charts. Let's see if this works. I can show it. Yeah, so we had a question about acupuncture versus acupuncture and red light on meridian points. Um, but I think you're kind of touching on it, is that if you stimulate that acupuncture point with either a laser or your finger or a needle, you're going to have mm -hmm. an effect on, the, on that point. Absolutely. So what you'll find a lot of times with the red lights is you will get an effect. It may not be as strong because you're not really penetrating. It's not a strong stimulus, but it absolutely can make a change. And if you have a red light machine, then you have the ability to treat them every day or treat them three times a week or something like that, which is if you were having an acupuncturist come in and paying them, you probably wouldn't do that. And so the needles are going to have sort of a deeper, longer lasting effect, but they're a little, you can do it with an ultrasound machine. Acupressure is absolutely valid. And so sometimes you can get a few points from your acupuncturist so that they can, so that you can kind of follow up. Yeah. And then uh, someone's asking what kind of cold laser you use. What's yours? <laughs> Mine is probably one of the oldest standing respond lasers that there is on the market. I bought it in 1990. It was the best investment I ever made because there's a whole lot of horses that don't like needles. I would say, Five to 15% of horses don't like needles. With my sort of lighter Japanese technique, I think I'm at sort of five to 8% that don't like needles. But if you're using a cutting needle, you'll find a lot higher percentage that don't like the needles. And what I have found is, because back in the early days, I tried everything and it's like, well, I'm, you know, we'll sedate them. And sedating them changes the biochemistry. And so, there's definitely some research that shows that the biochemistry is altered if you sedate during acupuncture. So I really, I only did that a few times. And I also get no feedback from the animal's body. I, I, it's hard to find a point because there's no sensitivity um, and there's no, you don't see the horse relaxing. Most of the horses will stand there and fall asleep. Um, occasionally, they're, uh, they get a little bit sort of antsy, like they've had a couple of cups of coffee. And sometimes I have a horse that loves needles on one side and hates needles on the other side. So I just get out the laser. And the, my goal is to keep them as quiet and happy as possible because they will receive the treatment the best. If I'm tying them down with a twitch and I'm, you know, forcing them to stand, even though they absolutely hate needles, their system is, is resisting my treatment. 
And because we're working with an energy medicine, if their energy is resisting everything I'm doing, then they are not going to get as good a treatment. And in, in the early days, I kind of proved that to myself by not, I was, a, I, the lasers are not cheap. So I was like, I'm not going to carry this in my car with me because it might get damaged. So I would try to do a horse that didn't really like needles. And I'd say, well, you know, next time I'll bring the laser. And what was really interesting is when I would do those horses with a laser, they relaxed and they accepted the treatment and the people noticed that it was a better result than when I forced them to have needles. So I put the laser in my car and it's been there for 30 years and it's still working. It's got a little tape and glue on some of its body parts, but it is still working. Um, just a laser can have you ever put a horse on that was not happy about needles, ever put them on a sure foot pad to see if that would relax them enough for the needles? No, I haven't. That's an interesting thought. Yeah, that would Very be a good use of the physio pad actually, because it's the lower profile one. And, uh, so we'll make sure you have one so you can do that experiment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've got a few horses that, that easily could qualify. Yeah. That that could that could be a really interesting and very simple experiment. Yeah, and that might save some of the veterinarians all the money buying a laser because they cost about five times as much as when I bought mine. Wow, yeah, it can be expensive. So, we do have a question and, and from uh, from Rhonda, and hi Rhonda, <laughs> I'm so glad to know that Little Horse is still with us. Um, she has an old mare named Little Horse that's insulin resistant, and they've done three acupuncture treatments in the last month. She's also had her on the physio pad and she's lost 20 pounds, but has been very sore in the front end. She's extremely sensitive with the needles and wondering how long that soreness will last and maybe she should slow down with the acupuncture is the question. Should she just do That's that? A, that is a really good question. And I do find that it is, it is very possible to over-treat. And especially when you're starting out, your inclination is to put in lots of needles because you have less confidence and sometimes come back a little more frequently than you need to. So if they're coming up sore after acupuncture, usually it has to do with overdoing it a little bit. And the best thing to do is to back off and give the body time to adapt and change. Cause we're going to, we're going to take that energy system. We're going to put the needle in, we're going to ask that chi to start moving. And it takes 24 hours for the chi to completely make its cycle in the body. And that's just the beginning of the healing process. So then the body has to start to respond to actually heal. Because what you're doing is triggering the body's own healing response. We can call it the innate intelligence. There's, we can call it a lot of things. But acupuncture really is working on the body, helping the body to heal itself. And if you have put too many needles in or too, too many treatments too quickly, you can exhaust an acupuncture point. So it's not very responsive. Just think about you know, exhausting yourself by doing too much of the same thing. And the body itself is like, I don't know what to respond to. You know, I'm still working on last week's treatment. 
And anytime you're getting a soreness, just back off, wait for a few weeks, and see what you have. What's your average period between treatments with a, a, a typical horse? For me, I do a combination of acupuncture and chiropractic and some of the body work that I've kind of learned over the years. And so I seldom look at a horse before a month is over, but I have done a lot to them. They don't need to see me. Occasionally, I get horses that the people say, you know, at three weeks, he was really ready for you again. But most of the time, that last week is is just about right. And because we have, because we often are traveling out to barns and because our practice areas are often large, it can be difficult to see horses more frequently. But if all you're doing is just acupuncture and nothing else, and you're not throwing in 25 needles that are maybe too much, you might want to come back every week, especially when people are beginning, because your points may be less effective because you are, you're new, you're new at it. And sort of a week to 10 days is what people very often start out with. And then as they get more comfortable with it, it's two weeks, three weeks. And then what happens to most of the vets is, especially with horses, you find out that you really have to take that chiropractic class. So that's another webinar, Wendy. Yeah, um, absolutely. But <laughs> horses, horses traumatize their bodies, as most of you probably know, if you have had one for any length of time. And so you'll find that your practitioner will maybe add a little chiropractic or maybe they learn, they go and learn some other techniques because there's so many things out there that do work. And as they add more techniques to their repertoire, they need to see your horse less usually because they're able to do more without overloading the horse at one time. And that makes it easier. It makes it easier financially. It makes it easier organizing schedules and everything else if you don't have to see them as much. Um, so it, it is variable and it's wise to try and listen to what your practitioner is comfortable with for your particular horse in your particular case. So uh, I, I've heard of a theory where like the fewer the needles, the better that, I don't think I'm quoting this right, but the idea of minimizing the number of needles to be more effective as opposed to putting in lots of needles and kind of like sort of a scattergun approach. Um, Yes, there, there is definitely, there is definitely truth to that. Um, the kitchen sink kind of approach of, you know, a needle in every single possible corner will very often yield some reasonable results as long as you don't overdo it, but you will get a lot more horses that come up sore afterwards. I hardly ever these days in the last 15, 20 years have a horse come up sore afterwards, unless maybe there's something that I've missed or something like Lyme is going on um, or an EPM or something underlying that we have not addressed. Um, but, and th there is, there's a veterinarian in Norway who has taught a lot of people basically a one needle acupuncture technique. 
And he's an incredible acupuncturist. And if I get really sick sometime, I'm going to go to Norway <laughs> because he's really good. Um, and a lot of us try to duplicate that. And it's really hard to only put one needle in a horse and believe that that's going to heal everything. Mm. Um, and it, so I think that for many of us, that's a, a, a healing level that's difficult to achieve. But the more targeted your points are to that horse's issue, the better your results with fewer needles. But it doesn't mean that a horse that has particularly a lot of local issues, like they've got a sacroiliac issue going on, but they've also got a big issue going on in their neck. And maybe they're an ex-race horse and they've got a lot of damage in their, in their back itself. And on top of that, their hocks have been bothering them. So to put five needles in that horse may not do it justice. You, you may need to do some local treatment in those individual areas that have been damaged. And so you might end up with 15, 20 needles in an individual horse and, and be totally appropriate. So it's one of those things that our teacher down in Florida, his answer to so many questions is, it depends. <laughs> we hear that a lot. The people hear that from me all the time too. <laughs> it depends because the beauty and the curse of most forms of alternative medicine is, it depends. There is so much individual variation, so much individual response, we really are tailoring to that individual instead of taking butte and giving it to everything. I know you've talked about the back as being a fuse box. Um, can you describe that a little bit? What, what you've, yeah, I haven't heard you talk about it so much lately, but I can remember when I used to follow you around to watch you work, you'd talk about the fuse box of the back. Okay, I'm gonna attempt the screen share thing again. Okay, great. Because I do have a of the back but this is not Lightroom so maybe oh good so I think it'll probably work better yeah there was something that was weird with Lightroom we should uh, test that out again sometime when we're not live yeah we should actually do a test oh yeah so Great. you can see that okay yep. so these acupuncture points travel along the body in pathways and these pathways have been mapped out for 3,000 years. And interestingly enough, in China, when you actually translate some of the, the Chinese, they also had a lot of points for animals that were not on an acupuncture meridian as such, but may have some of the same effects. So you can get some Chinese acupuncture point names that are actually not on a meridian. So don't worry about that, but if you see a Chinese looking name and you're like, well, what meridian is that? And they say it's not on a meridian. That's okay. That's just one of the Chinese points that the Chinese figured out. So along the horse's back, there is the bladder meridian. And the bladder meridian goes all the way from the outside of the hoof in the rear end, all the way up to the eyeball. But the area starting right behind the withers, right behind the shoulder blade, actually. You just drop your finger off the shoulder blade into a little pocket. 
That's the beginning of what I call the fuse box. So each of these acupuncture points along here is connected to one of the other meridians. So there's 12 paired meridians and then a couple of others that are not paired on the top and bottom. So each one of these points, if I want to affect the lungs, I can go here and this is sort of like a master point for the lungs right behind the shoulder blade. Well, guess what often puts pressure there? Mm. A saddle. The saddle's not fitting. So you could actually have a respiratory problem that had an origin in an ill-fitting saddle, which is how I got into the whole saddle fitting thing. I would come back and look at a horse and it's like the same points are sore. Why didn't my acupuncture work? And then I started looking at saddles and yeah, well, saddles going, putting pressure right here. And so we can, we can treat internal medicine problems and we can treat local back problems using these points here. So each one of these, we have lung, liver, heart, kidney. Um, each acupuncture point here can actually be treating an internal organ or the external part that that meridian goes over. So if we look at... This is all, I think, all of this is bladder meridians. So let's get, so the kidney meridian is going up the inside of the hind leg. And here's the, here's our bladder meridian points coming down the outside. We're still on bladder 18 image. Just unshare and reshare your screen. Okay, I think I, yeah, I have to stop sharing. Yeah, it, it doesn't work well when you yeah. move around your screen. It's the one Zoom glitch. Okay. Oh yeah, that's a different picture. <laughs> okay. So here we have coming down the outside of the hind leg, we have a couple of our bladder meridian points and they're heading down the leg to the outside of the foot. And then, we have on the inside of the other hind leg, we start to look at some of our other meridians. And so our liver meridian goes up the inside of the hind leg. Our kidney meridian goes up the inside of the hind leg. Our spleen meridian goes up the inside of the hind leg. That's a little yellow one. And so if we come to the back and we treat this, the, the um, fuse box point for, say, the kidney meridian, we are actually going to be helping this part of the horse's body. So we can help treat the hock by treating the kidney meridian point on the back. So it's all wired together, just like your house is wired together. And if you go to the wall, you can turn a switch on a certain wall and you know what lights are gonna come on. And if you've just bought a house or a barn, you might turn the switches on and you're not sure where those lights are gonna be. <laughs> but after a while, you map it out and you can figure out what happens with each switch. 
So in studying acupuncture, that's what we're learning is what is happening as we are, where and what is happening when we use a particular point. And each point has a group of things that it can do. And it may affect that local area only, or it might affect the kidney itself if we're looking at a kidney point and we want to affect the kidney. The other thing that's really interesting when we talk about our meridians is that I look at it like they have a Chinese job and a Western job. So the Western job of the kidney, since we happen to be looking at kidney points here, the Western job of the kidney meridian of, of the kidney itself is to filter water and create urine. And it is connected to, it's right next to the adrenals, but it, the kidney itself does not affect the adrenals directly in Western medicine. So that's its Western job. Its Chinese job is different and yet in some ways they can be looked at as similar. So the kidney meridian takes care of the lower back. It is in charge of the bones and it also takes care of the hind legs. So the kidney meridian is a really good meridian to, to sort of use as you think about your own body the kidney meridian, if it's taking care of the lower back, the hips, and the knees, how many people in their sort of 60s to 80s are having hip and knee replacements? Probably quite a few that you know, if not yourself. So what's happening is as you age, the kidney meridian is not doing such a good job of taking care of your lower back, your hips, your knees, in the horse's case, the stifles, and your ankles, which is your hocks. So the kidney meridian does fade, and we start to see a lot more arthritis problems in our older animals, right? Mm -hmm. So the kidney meridian is not doing as good a job on the bones in general, and on that rear end in particular. So we come along with acupuncture, we can actually enhance that aging kidney meridian and send it some energy, move that energy around. It's gotten stagnant over the years, especially if we sit behind the computer all day long. It's not working really well. And our horses are standing in stalls. It's not moving. So we acupuncture them and we get that chi moving, we can relieve the pain and the stiffness. And we will take care of the kidney meridian. So that would be the kidney. The interesting thing is that the kidney, well, all of the meridians, they have a body part they take care of, like the kidney takes care of the bone, the liver takes care of the tendons and ligaments, the feet and the eyes, so horses with Lyme disease, Lyme tends to hit the liver meridian and we see a lot of tendon and ligament problems. We see a lot of foot problems in the Lyme horses. And it makes, it makes sense in the Chinese standpoint. And to me, I find Chinese medicine very logical. It's not, um, 
it's a different language. We talk about spleen chi deficiency and those horses might colic in the spring and fall. And in Western medicine, we think of that as colicking. But in Chinese medicine, the spleen and the stomach meridian live together, they're paired, and they hang out together and they share some of their duties. So the spleen meridian does not like big swings in weather changes. So it does not like it when it's 80 degrees during the day and 40 degrees and windy at night. And it affects the guts, the digestion. And so what happens when you have those big weather sw swings in the spring and fall is horses that have a weak spleen and stomach meridian tend to colic because their spleen meridian says, I don't do this cold, damp weather that just moved in. I hurt. And unless they have twisted their gut, a lot of times acupuncture will actually take care of it because you have taken your, um, that energy that was stuck, that was really unhappy with the cold and damp. And we put needles in and we have moved that energy through and we've relieved the pain and the stagnation and we have comfort. We're not going to take a twisted gut and fix it with acupuncture, but many, many simple, um, acu many simple colics can be treated with acupuncture. Um, and there are certainly, there are points that are very helpful for that. Right. And also that's where Linda Tonton Jones ear work comes in because it's hitting the acupuncture points in the ear. Um, and Sherfoot mm -hmm. has helped a number of horses in colic. Um, from a Chinese medicine perspective, I know there's ting points down around the cornet band. Um, are those the mm -hmm. end points of meridians? And if so, do you think Surefoot might actually be influencing the meridians? It's a good question, and actually probably so. so the, the, ting, the, the points that Wendy's referring to are the points that are at the ending or beginning of a meridian. So on our fingers and toes, on the horse's fingers and toes, um, they are, uh, let's see if I can find a, a foot one here. Um, they, they are, the, because they're either a beginning point or an ending point, standing on the sure foot pads, absolutely, as that foot, does its little bit of movement, you are activating the nervous system, which remember, we have an acupuncture point that is full of little nerve endings. So you have that little bit of movement stimulating, putting information into the nervous system, and you have a very active piece of the nervous system sitting right here. So I would think that there is a, um, a significant possibility of having something like that going on. And the, the ear acupuncture points are definitely the same thing. The, the ear, you can go to an acupuncturist who treats nothing but your ears. And in the horse and dog world, and cats for sure, it's a little bit harder. One, their ears are very sensitive. And two, if you look at our ear, it's been easy to map out. There's a very specific shape and it may vary with people 
as far as what it looks like, but the structures are very much like a set of bones. They're very consistent between different ears. So they have mapped out acupuncture points for your entire body on your ear. They actually have on your hand and they have on your feet. Horses feet, you're not gonna put a lot of needles in and you're not gonna massage them very well. Um, and so uh, we're, we're not going to see, just looking for some ting points here around the feet. Um, Cause I know we're not, we're not going a lot of Oh, what was that? It uh, but Dr. Ridgway did a lot with ping points. I remember that time that we were at his place, you were there and Rosemary Ganser, um, and he was, mm -hmm. I have pictures from that. They're terrible pictures, but I do have pictures of you guys. And, and I remember specifically, he was needling around the cornet band. Yes, and some people do most of their acupuncture from the ting points. And there is nothing wrong with that. They are, um, they are very effective. There are quite a few horses that will not let you do that again. Mm. Uh, um, so I, I tend to use ting points, um, especially in laminitis cases, it's amazing. And, and I actually will even use a needle to create a little bit of blood because you're really moving stagnation out of those feet. So can you see this one? Yep. I don't know if you can okay. um, enlarge it a little bit just using your zoom uh, on your preview. Yeah, I'm trying. Plus, there we go. Yep. Here we go. There we go. Okay. So here's some more points, but here are a set of your ting points down by the feet. And they are they are very powerful points. Um, and many horses will allow you to do them. When they have laminitis, they almost stick their feet out and say, here, stick a needle into it. They don't really mind. Um, other horses, really, after you've done them once or twice down there, they really don't appreciate it. I tend to use a really small needle down there, and I can usually do it on multiple bases. But the horses that, I, that are laminitic and that um, I use the more of a cutting needle on, um, when they feel better, they don't want me there anymore. <laughs> they let me know in no uncertain terms. So, so you can see there's a beginning and end. And if you look at the numbers, you'll see this one says heart nine, and this one says small intestine one. So you've got the beginning of a point that's flowing up into the body. And here at the heart, you have a meridian that's flowing down and ending there. That for what, really for what most of you all need to know, it doesn't really matter. If you're getting into acupressure, you may find yourself studying some of it. And the flow of the, of the meridian might help you determine which acupuncture point you use for which condition. Um, and each one of these points, some of them have a tremendous amount of scientific research and there is a, there is a push by certain groups of people to have only medical acupuncture done that has scientific research on the point, but you lose the energetic interrelationship of the points. And so the traditional Chinese medicine 
makes use of that relationship that goes through the entire body that really changes the flow of energy into a positive vein so that people and or so that the animals can be comfortable and really respond rather than having a short-term pain relief. What we really try to get to with a good acupuncture session is a long-term relief. If you are out competing and working hard and the horse is working at, especially if they're working near their limit, you're constantly you know, learning more, asking more, those horses will perform at their peak if you treat them on a regular basis, maybe once a month, maybe once every couple months. Other horses, you, you rebalance them twice a year and they're, they are doing fine. Make sure their saddles are fitting, you know, make sure you're riding well, make sure, you know, everything's comfortable and you don't need to see a lot of me. You can do a lot of your stretches. Do your exercises with a surefoot pad and you can help accentuate that treatment. It's, it, there, is, um, I, there is one question. Can acupuncture help be used for, to help anhydrosis? Yes, it can. And in the anhydrosis parts of the world down in Florida and down in the deep south, there are actually quite a few people who use acupuncture for anhydrosis. Because I live in Virginia, we, we see very little of it, but we have had a couple of hot summers where we actually see more and I have had to look up some points because it's not something that I see on a regular basis. And as far as what acupuncture involves, in reality, Chinese medicine involves acupuncture as only one piece. So mm -hmm. The whole of Chinese medicine is acupuncture to stimulate the acupuncture points. And in China, even if you're healthy, a lot of times you go quarterly for your seasonal tune-up to just shift your meridian points to the new season. Then we have Chinese herbs, which is a whole form of herbal medicine, but it uses the same principles as acupuncture. So we're treating our spleen chi deficiency, but we're using herbs that they have determined will warm up the spleen, help it move, help it digest. And a lot of that research was done thousands of years ago with monks and people sitting on top of a mountain or in a monastery taking one herb and feeling what it did in their body. Did it make my head warm? Did it make my toes warm? Did it make my hands cold? Wow. Where did it go? What do I feel? Do I feel, and, and a good example of this is say, um, the difference between peppermint and cinnamon tea. So cinnamon is one of the most warming herbs in Chinese medicine, and peppermint is a very cooling herb. Now, today was a very pleasant day here in Virginia, but a typical June day when it's 95 degrees and humid. If I offer you cinnamon tea, what are you going to tell me? No, thank you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because it's warming. But if it's 20 degrees and damp and ugly, and I offer you the same cup of cinnamon tea, what are you going to say? 
with some hot apple cider for sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and if you don't like cinnamon tea, obviously that, that analogy doesn't work. But, but yes, you want something warming. In the summer, you want that peppermint tea. You want something cooling. So we can warm the body with acupuncture. We can warm the body with herbs. We also have a whole branch of Chinese medicine called food therapy. And in China, you can actually go to a restaurant, give them your Chinese diagnosis, and they will make you a meal based on the herbs that you, or the, the plants and the foods that you need. Wow. That's cool. So, yeah, or warm, depending on which food you have. Right. So, um, and, and an example of that, in, in the horse world, we have, say, barley and oats. Oats are warming. And how often have we said, oh, oats make my horse crazy, or oats make my horse hot. Right. Because oats are warming and rising. So they go to the brain and they warm things up. Well, if it's already warm, you don't need to add warmth. So your chestnut thoroughbred mare that's mm -hmm. bouncing off the walls does not need to be fed oats, okay? So a cooling, neutral to cooling grain that you could feed would be barley. And barley is doesn't have that rising effect and it actually has a little bit of cooling effect. So say I have a laminitic horse, I get some laminitic horses that are actually thin and we have to find things that we can feed them. And we have to find some carbohydrate calories that we can feed them because we're feeding them as much fat calories and protein as we can. We need some carbohydrates for these guys. Some of them are burning tremendous amounts of energy because of the amount of pain they're in. So barley is a food that you can actually use there because energetically it's cooling. It's going to be kind to those hot inflamed feet and it's going to supply some safer carbohydrates. So by knowing and understanding the whole picture of Chinese medicine, we can much more effectively heal horses from the inside out. So someone's asked about how they can get started in acupuncture. Um, and the question kind of leads me to think that there's an area that they could start with, but really it's a philosophy that they need to start with of understanding the meridians. Isn't that right? Yes. And there's, there, there's a couple of books that, um, that you can read and I can, do you, do you send something out afterwards, Wendy? Um, I, I can, I can. People can contact me and I can give them contacts and things. Yeah. Trying to spell this guy's name is impossible, but a book called The Web That Has No Weaver, which is oh. an old book, but it really kind of goes through Chinese philosophy. And it's sometimes a nice starting point. And now I am sure there are lots more books out there, but if you really want to start, um, thinking and understanding this, you know, the qi deficiency, the yin deficiency, the yang deficiencies, that is a decent starting point. And I'm sure if it's not readily available, just look on Amazon for a used copy. Right. That's um, a or some other. I remember that name. Yeah. And it's still, I mean, the Chinese medicine is 3000 years old. We can read texts from, in fact, 
the teacher in Florida is Chinese. He can translate texts from a thousand years ago and he can tell us what is in these herbal formulas that are written about a thousand years ago. So a book that was written 20 or 30 years ago is just as valid today. And most of the formulas that we use in Chinese herbal medicine, many of them are 2000 years old. Wow. So I, I know that like all things, there's a technical aspect to acupuncture and then an artistic aspect. And having watched you work for many years, there, the artistic aspect for you is, is kind of sensing the areas where to, to put the needle as opposed to the book tells you that the point is exactly here. Um, so to, can you just talk a little bit about the difference between sort of the technique and the, and the intuitive aspects of this um, of acupuncture? Yes, and there, there's a couple people that have posted um, a couple of book titles that are useful. There's a four, I don't know if everybody can see the chat. Does everybody oh, see yeah, the four chat? Four five directions. That's a great old, yeah. uh, that's been around. And if you can get a hold of a copy of it, um, I think I heard that she might be able to republish it. It's a wonderful book, small animals, but again, the principles are the same. And Between Heaven and Earth is a good book. It's a little different Chinese philosophy. There's, there's different, even in China, Depending on where you go, you'll have sort of a very traditional Chinese medicine philosophy, and then they have what's called five elements. So between heaven and earth is more of a five element approach. All valid, all good, and just different. And you'll find many of the same points get used. They just sort of approach it slightly differently. So the artistic aspect of acupuncture and the technical aspect is is really interesting and and truthfully they call it practice even veterinary medicine human medicine all different kinds of professions are called practices lawyers doctors you know you name it is a practice feldenkrais is a practice and as a practice it really means that we are continuing to learn and improve as we go through a career. And each year you learn, each person you learn from, you learn something different. You incorporate some things that they taught you and not others. Some things resonate with you. Sometimes I walk, go into a lecture and I come away with one point that is of interest. And that makes that whole lecture worthwhile. But that's the only point out of that lecture that I incorporate. But the person lecturing, that's how they practice with all of those, those pieces of information. And so the art of any form of medicine, of Feldenkrais, of, of horseback riding. We don't take lessons when we're 10 and then never take another lesson. Well, there are people that do that, but <laughs> you wouldn't be here <laughs> if you were one of those. Um, so... We are constantly learning and improving, developing our intuition. And intuition is something that's definitely not taught in vet school. Um, and, and it's in the basics of acupuncture, they, they do teach you that your intent for healing is very important. Your, your focus for making that needle work is important. The people doing straight medical acupuncture 
are not looking for that. They're looking for a place to put a needle. And they are wanting to, to treat a point. And you will get some results, but you will not get that flow of energy, that restoration of health in the same kind of way unless you use your intuition, your feel. That feel that you develop as you're learning to ride your horse better, as you're learning to train your horse better, sit on your horse, whatever the situation is, is the same idea as us learning acupuncture at a higher level and learning to, to touch that body and know where to put the needle, where to put my hands. And in the beginning, you're going to go down every point and check and see exactly what it feels like to you. When you've been doing it for 30 years, you kind of run your hand down as I'm usually doing chiropractic first. So I have a pretty good feel of what I want to do before I'm actually putting the needles in. And sometimes I'll step back and I'll think, you know, I'm, I just, I need another needle. And so I'll think about it. A lot of times I just feel where my hand stops, what, what I need to, where I need to put that needle. And the practitioners, when they're learning, who worry about what they're feeling under their hands, usually get better much faster than the people who take out the book and um, copy the points that are out of um, that book for that particular condition because most horses don't have one condition. Sometimes they do. I mean, sometimes they, they injure a body part doing something stupid. And you could walk up to that horse and maybe acupuncture that one spot and be done and have a result. But usually by the time we see it, so that say they've slipped in the mud and they've, they've, they've made their sacroiliac joint sore. But as soon as their sacroiliac joint gets sore, well, then they're putting some extra weight on their front end and that um, left front tendon is now a little bit sore or the shoulder is showing up with a little bit of soreness. And by the time we actually see them, it's a whole horse prospect. And so you really need to feel the horse and let your intuition, I mean, I've put needles in points and sort of go, well, I'm not quite sure what that point is, but I'm going to go look it up when I get home. And I can come home and look up the point and go, yes, that makes a lot of sense for this horse. My fingers told me to put the needle there. My brain didn't remember studying that point or remember that it had a particular action that would be useful for this horse. But my fingers knew it or the horse essentially told me by the way his body feels. And so I put the needle there and I come home and I read about it and I go, yeah, that was a, that was a good thing to do. And, and I encourage people to do that. The same thing when you're, if you're, if you're playing around with some acupressure, that's a good way to really get to know your horse's tissues, get to know what, um, what feels normal and not normal in your own horse. And you, you come to a spot and you, it's not one that you've been studying or one that you were planning to play with, but your fingers kind of stay there. Go ahead and work on that point. Go home and look it up because you'll learn it really well if you do that. 
and Surefoot's so much that way that you know there's there's basic guidelines of how to get started, but it's so much listening to the horse and responding in the moment to what's going on. It's why you know it's a practice as well, and and I find that when we can let go a little bit and think more about it, at, not as an empirical value, but as a as a you know, a starting point and then allow that intuitive aspect. I think that's where you get really good practitioners in any field is, is that combination mm -hmm. of technique, but you, you have to at some point let the technique go and let the intuition guide you. Um, I know that from my Feldenkrais right. practice, that's so true that there's a certain level of technique, but then you've just got to go with what is right in the moment. And it's so hard for some people because they don't trust themselves to be able to be intuitive enough. They think they're not. And yet when we really get in the moment and really present, I think most people are. They'd surprise themselves. Most people are. Yeah. Most people are. And, and I, I mean, I, I try to listen because y'all are spending time with your horses. I'm there for an hour. I don't know anything. I mean, I know what my intuition tells me. I know what my hands tell me. I don't know that horse the way you do. And so the, we are told on a daily basis that intuition doesn't matter and that you can't be right and that you, you, know, you don't know enough medicine to understand what's going on with your horse. But I can't tell you how many times I, people say, I just have a sense that, mm -hmm. and they're usually right. Yeah. And you have a sense, it is a, and there is a lot of science actually behind intuition. There is a lot of, there's, there's science behind prayer. The, the research studies that have been done that show that prayer, prayers done in Virginia affect a patient in Ohio all the time. There's so much documentation that, that there is this dimension and yet, from the time we're little kids, we're told, no, you can't, you, you can't, you can't be right. It, it's not possible. And so we shut that part down. And connecting with something like, connecting with any of these aspects, just from riding, from playing around with surefoot, with, from allowing the horse to give you feedback instead of always giving the horse all the feedback. Yeah. And, and, you know, we have to go back to the very fact that we are electromagnetic energy. Acupuncture points have nerves, as you say. So there's, you're moving electricity, electrons, and that, you know, the whole earth is an electromagnetic field. So just because we don't see it, and it's kind of like this virus, just because we don't see it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Um, and clearly the virus exists because we can see people getting sick and winding up in hospital, et cetera. So, you know, to, to kind of think that just because you can't see it or feel it or touch it, it doesn't exist. We, we have proof of that being a wrong concept right now. Um, and so often people discount this idea of electromagnetic energy that acupuncture is using, that prayer is using, that you know, there's uh, magnets, whatever, um, it exists. We just can't see it. And so we tend to discount those types of things. But so there's, yeah, we, we want, we want to see that blood vessel that yeah. we can dissect. Out. But guess what? Just recently, like within the last year, 
they found an anatomical structure that goes from your gut to your brain. And they have to basically rewrite the anatomy texts because it's never been in there before. What is that? So structure? we're finding the it's a, a lymphatic vessel. Really? Yes, connects the gut to the brain. But you can get even wilder than that because there is some, and this is very scientific research that there are these basically, and I'm, I can't I can't say it properly because I really haven't read the research, but some of these meridians are probably light transmitting pathways. There's all these structures that we're finding in the abdomen. There are actual structures, but it's only been since we have imaging now that can image the living. We've always done anatomy on dead things. Right. And so this poor little lymphatic vessel, it's just a tiny little thin thing. So nobody ever saw it. Nobody ever could, could get their hands on it because it was so tiny. And these, these, they're transmitting light beams through the abdomen. They're looking at the fascia now and considering the fascia, which is that thin connective tissue that like when you eat a chicken uh, drumstick, you, that's thin, it doesn't look like much. But now they're thinking that that is the structure of your body and your bones are just kind of giving it shape. Yeah, the whole model so, of clarity. We've had some talks about that, which is really fascinating. Really fascinating. Yeah. So there, there's a lot out there we don't know. Yeah. And so much more to learn. I mean, it's, that's, um, at, you know, for all these webinars I'm doing, I keep, there's still so much more to learn and to talk about and to discover. And so I, I think at this point, we've been going for an hour and a half, a little more. Um, it's probably a good place to end. Uh, it's been a fascinating discussion. And I really appreciate sort of the historical perspective of the of acupuncture in this country. I didn't realize actually that um, it was so recent. Um, and if you want to learn more about Dr. Joyce Harmon, you can go on her website. It's harmony with an A, equine.com. Yep. Um, and I'm sure we'll have Joyce back because we've got lots more topics to talk with her about. Um, I think uh, certainly chiropractic um, and maybe even Lyme disease one of these days, just because there's so many people struggling with Lyme disease with their horses that that might be a worthwhile conversation. Um, but I, I, people have been giving me lists of names. And so I, I will, I don't know when I will ever run out of topics to talk about during these <laughs> webinars, which is great because I'm loving them and I love the learning. And um, even though I, you know, I know about acupuncture, I've had it myself for so long, there's still so much more to learn and understand at another level. And that's what I really appreciate about um, your talk tonight um, is it's just, there's another level of understanding about acupuncture. And even though I've had it for years myself. So thank you so much. Great, thanks for having me. Lots of fun as usual. Yeah, it's and, great. Uh, just we'll, we'll, check we'll out, be check back out. in another month or so. <laughs> okay, that sounds, that sounds fabulous. And I've got some, I do have some webinars that are a little bit more sort of slide based. If you go onto a YouTube channel off of the Harmony Equine site. Too. Oh, great. I didn't realize you had a so, YouTube channel. Fabulous. Yeah. 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 
All right, well, thank you everyone for joining us. It's been another terrific webinar. Just remember that you can find all the webinars on my Surefoot Equine YouTube channel. For those of you watching Facebook Live, I haven't been able to respond to any of the comments there, but I'll look at them afterward and, and make comments as, as appropriate. Um, and just remember that you can always sign up for all the webinars by going to the surefootequine.com website, click on the calendar, click on the day that, of the webinar, It'll open a small box, click on that box, and you can register right there from the calendar. So, um, so you don't have to miss out on any of these webinars. I did make mistakes on the dates, on the email that I sent out, but all of the links were correct. So at least that was okay. Um, and I have a full list of guests next week. We're gonna bring Pam um, um, from Equisoma and Diane back, and we're gonna talk about thoracic spine next week. And I have Raquel Butler from Australia. So um, another great lineup of guests. And tomorrow, I've forgotten, tomorrow's Thursday. Um, hang on, I just have to look and see who tomorrow's guest is. Oh yeah, Nick Barker um, from, from the UK. And we're gonna talk about, um, you know, being able to like see what's going on with your horse in terms of lameness before it gets really bad. So I'm really looking forward to, to meeting Nick. I, I haven't worked with her before, so this will be exciting and a new person for the webinars. And um, just thank you again. And thank you, Joyce. It's always a pleasure to have you on. So until tomorrow. Great fun. Yep. We'll see you later. Have a good night. Bye-bye. Take care.